Hi, I'm Martin Davis, and I'm the program director at Ignite Lynn London, and you're listening to the App Guy podcast. The App Guy podcast, straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy, sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment. And now, Paul, the App Guy. This is episode 475 of the App Guy podcast. It's with the CEO of Dashmoat. Uh, we talk a lot about a product hunt and how it, it really did help his business, uh, how he live streamed his day on Periscope and all the success that he had uh, through the launch and, and all the other stuff that's going on with Dashmoat as well. Uh, great chat with an entrepreneur. Uh, before I get started, uh, I want to thank two sponsors uh, who helped support this show and keep it free the first sponsor toptal toptal.com forward slash paul that's toptal.com forward slash paul they are the world's best when it comes to finding great developers and great designers i know i've referred lots of developers and designers to toptal and only three uh, percent of the people that i refer seem to make it through so i do know that when they claim uh, that they look for the world's best and have this acceptance rate of around about three percent i know that's genuine and it really is a, a tough place to get in uh, you have to be the world's best developers and designers but of course when you get in uh, you're into a network that uh, really helps its clients by giving you quality and giving you talent so uh, for now go to toptal.com forward slash paul so go and get yourself a great developer or designer my next sponsor is Gummy Cube. That's Gummy Cube, G-U-M-M-I-C-U-B-E, gummycube.com. Uh, they are the world's best when it comes to App Store optimization. App Store optimization is really important. It's where most people find their apps through the App Store. So of course you need to be quite high at the, up on the uh, App Store rankings and Gummy Cube help you uh, achieve that. So uh, if you really want to get ahead of the game, increase your downloads, just appear higher up the charts or just in terms of keyword research then uh, gummy cube can help you gummycube.com thank you so much to gummy cube for continuing to support the show uh, so let's get into the episode then with uh, dennis tan of dash mode welcome to the app guy podcast i'm your host this is paul kemp so this is the show where i get some great founders, CEOs, and we learn uh, all the tips and tricks that they uh, have learned themselves going through their own journey with their own product. And today uh, I've got a, a great guest. He, we know he's good because he has an exceptionally good uh, product on Product Hunt and it's called Dashmoat. It's the best stock images uh, via cognitive power search. And we're going to talk about uh, that. So it's, it's Dennis Tan. He is the CEO and founder of Dashmode. So Dennis, welcome to the App Guy podcast. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it's great to be here. And I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to share my experience and uh, uh, hear more about the community uh, uh, of the App Guy. Yeah, well, let's talk about your experience first. Uh, I would love to know like how it felt I mean, I, I got to notice you through a very big uh, hunt on uh, the platform called ProductHunt.com, and I'm sure that that must have really boosted your uh, credibility. How did it go? Yeah, so actually, it was a it was a really funny thing because uh, we knew about Product Hunt for quite a while. Uh, I've always been a fan of Y Combinator, following the startups, and uh, we actually 
were planning to uh, go on Product Hunt. So uh, how it works, obviously, is that, that there's a guy that, that normally puts you on the platform, uh, one of the hunters, so to call. So uh, we actually, beforehand, we contacted people if they would want to put us on the platform, and they said yes. So uh, we were perfectly planning it out and said, like, okay, July will be the month. Uh, since uh, July has not started yet, we accidentally got hunted way <laughs> before we initially planned it. So uh, on the day itself, I, uh, me and my co-founders were actually very crowded with, with meetings and we're all across the country in the Netherlands where we're from. So we're all away from the office. So uh, one of my co-founders was in the office, however, and at 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, he suddenly gave me a call and he said like, oh no, it happened before we planned, planned to go on product hunt and uh, we more or less had five to ten minutes to decide whether we wanted to leave it at that or see uh, if we wanted to uh, put time and effort in getting the most out of product hunt so uh, within five minutes I said well, we cannot miss this opportunity. We are on it anyway. There was a nice guy, uh, a designer, Chris Messina from uh, from Uber, who, who put us on the platform. And we said, let's all get back to the office. Let's get the team ready. And let's uh, do a marathon of uh, seeing what a product hunt campaign actually looks like. Um, yeah, so that was my first experience with product hunt. This is wonderful. I'm already learning something so powerful from you, which is if you start to uh, uh, network amongst the the kind of small community of uh, top influencers on product hunt, there is that danger, isn't it? That someone loves what you're doing and just, uh, I guess you have no control, which is what we've seen with you. Uh, uh, so, yeah. So, so, okay. So the, the story is then that um, you were all together. Uh, you were unexpectedly hunted beforehand. And th- then uh, how did the day unfold? Tell us how the day went. So, Normally, I, I assume there, there are different startups who have their own approach to, to product hunt. Like you have on one side, I think you have the startups who really use it as a launching platform. So they really pre-prep. And uh, on the other hand, you have, you have startups like us who don't know and just uh, get hunted by accident. And uh, so we were kind of in the middle because we had this plan, but we didn't unfold it. So we were like, how do we approach it? So uh, normally how product hunt wants is like, you want to get as many upvotes and uh, you cannot really advertise upvotes. Uh, you normally want to engage with the community and you do normally do so by connecting with influencers because their vote weights higher than any random votes that you would get. So, uh, of course, we also said to friends that, hey, we're on product account, which you're allowed to do. Uh, but uh, since we didn't pre-prep all these contacts, uh, on the day itself, we called the team in together and we kind of made a plan of how we can uh, yeah, increase the exposure and make sure the f- that our voices are heard because you only have essentially this 24 hours to perform uh, these actions. So uh, more or less, we try to reach the media, which is always hard, uh, as any startup knows, uh, especially since Product Hunt is not that famous in Europe. Uh, but most of all, we try to be there with the community. Um, so a few of the things that we uh, we try to initiate is, for example, we live streamed our day. Uh, so we put our phone in the, in the office and, and we live streamed how we were dealing with product on which gave us quite some viewers uh, would then again would try to look at us on product hunt which would help uh, if they like the product to help us upvote 
I'm learning so much from you, Dennis. Uh, in fact, uh, firstly, that uh, influencers do have perhaps a bigger uh, upvote in the algorithm on Product Hunt, yeah. uh, which is uh, good. Uh, and so engaging with them. Uh, also, uh, don't go out, uh, I mean, asking for upvotes. I've done a lot of Product Hunt launches myself, and I know that's the, the big danger is if you're seen to be uh, asking for upvotes, then they can give you uh, the equivalent of a Google slap. But I guess you call it a yeah. product hunt slap. <laughs> so, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and also, I've done I've done live streaming as well for live events on the day, and I'm glad that you're doing that. And that that of course must have worked really well. Was that with Periscope? Yeah, that was indeed with uh, with uh, with Periscope, and uh, I was actually on the day itself. Of course, I was I was looking for more content to find out how others would do it, and uh, I wanted to see how others would go into this process. And uh, since I found very little, I thought it would be crucial for us to to give a bit back to to others who unexpectedly get product on to share that knowledge. Indeed, and especially because we were also very unfortunate which day we got hunted because, uh, well, as, as you know, um, um, you, you don't get to pick who are your more or less your competitors on that day. Uh, and we had the unfortunate, unfortunate luck that... Um, that Casey Neistat from uh, uh, the, the famous YouTuber. His app <laughs> yeah, that's was, right. Uh, I remember the yeah, day. Was I remember the day. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, among one of the competitors, also Call of Duty game. So uh, I, we knew kind of that these parties, of course, have more resources to help out. I mean, uh, unfortunately, we don't have a YouTube platform with uh, millions of followers to uh, to reach out to. Uh, but nonetheless, it was a fun battle to see how we would compete with a with a big uh, with, with a big BMOT as a competitor. Yeah. Uh, okay, and uh, what we're going to do is to get people through this episode. We're not going to uh, give them whether you beat Casey or not. Right, we'll, we'll, no, no, we'll, no. <laughs> we'll reveal that at the end. How's that? Uh, to, yeah. uh, as a <laughs> that, teaser. That sounds good. Um, so yeah. th- th- this is fun. I mean, let's, let's now transition then. Oh, okay. Let's talk about the results. Uh, so uh, you finished up with, um, at, at the moment, uh, the last count was uh, uh, almost a thousand upvotes, pretty close to it. Yeah. And so uh, how um, was that? Uh, how did that reflect in the uh, attention that you got, the traffic and stuff? I think, uh, first of all, on, on one side, you really have the, the crucial feedback that you're getting from uh, early adapters on the platform itself. I mean, Product Hunt is for really innovative lovers who like to see new things. So, uh, first of all, we're astonished by the responses or the quality of the responses in, in, uh, in, in the thread of, of the Product Hunt. So, we got, uh, we got uh, suppliers or new, new people interested in our business on, on all different sides saying like, hey, uh, we want to have help out we want to be part of of what you're doing uh we have this we built something like this can we connect in some way so actually we got concrete uh follow-up with people who would want to work with us together um and on the other side um which is also crucial for for startups is sometimes to uh to get the credible part towards investors which you don't instantly gain on the day itself but later after it does so uh in, in europe it's a bit less because of platform is not used that much as an investor tool but in the states they do check more or less product hunt for credible things to see whether a, a product has some kind of market fit um, so I we, we also got some follow-ups with investors in the end that didn't work out but that doesn't mean that that, that it was not useful uh, to be heard by them um, 
uh, one actually we're still in contact uh, and on another hand you have the PR media part uh, which we didn't really expect it to see from this side of things so we were hoping or we were uh, having this intention to to see whether we could get some local publicity, uh, but unfortunately the product and knowledge in the in the Dutch startup scene is very low, so uh, it didn't happen um, uh, until until a week later. But uh, we got to uh, have a lot of exposure in the rest of the world, actually. So uh, especially in Asia. Uh, from different countries like Japan, but also China, uh, Korea, they uh, somehow translated our stuff into their uh, into their language and they posted articles. Unfortunately, we couldn't read it without a translator, but um, there was this one particular source from Japan that gives us, uh, gave us about 200k in views on the day itself. So, uh, uh, what? <laughs> Dennis, we can't skip over this. There was one particular Japanese source that gave you 200,000 views on one day. Yeah, I, uh, wow. I, I actually want to now give them a shout out, but I, I'm curious if they, I, I assume there must be a Japanese guy uh, listening to your, uh, to your podcast. But uh, yeah, there was this great uh, blog called Neji Lock or something. And uh, yeah, they gave this, this uh, neelock.jp. Uh, which gave us this great traffic from uh, Japanese people. So we're now trying to see whether we can help uh, out there or, or uh, yeah, marketeer there a little bit more, reach the community a bit more. And the same goes for this other website, Korean website called 36kr.com. Um, yeah, so that was great. Yeah, Dennis, I'm actually thinking we should uh, put a link to uh, those two traffic sources on the show notes to give to people. Uh, but, you know, it's probably a good idea to talk about the product. We haven't actually uh, said what we're, uh, what, what you're offering. Maybe it's a good time to jump in and, and just uh, give a brief overview of Dashmo, what, it, what problem it is you're trying to solve and what you're doing. Yeah, we try to come up with a very clear mission statement, so to say. So uh, with Dashmode, we want, we want to give instant access to all visual content for basically everyone. And uh, through our offerings, we try to, to do so. So, um, yeah, the, 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 the pain came from our own experience that it was very hard to find the right image for any uh, project that you might have. So we did a lot of research uh, and uh, we figured out that it took took on average 45 minutes to find one singular image. Um, so essentially what you would find out is that the creativity would be very limited if it would take this amount of time. So we said, okay, we want to significantly reduce this 45 minutes to essentially 45 seconds or even less. Uh, to do that, we really needed to focus on uh, tech, of course. Um, but that's more normally not enough because on one hand, uh, you want to have enough source to do so. So we picked a specific position where we did not have to deal as much resources with supply. So we said, okay, let's go in an aggregated position, uh, connect all the great uh, stock databases that are out there, uh, including the free ones as well, and make sure that we can develop the, the technology to make sure that we can pair people with the right picture in the fastest way, uh, not constraining them to things like high entry barriers such as prices, being able to buy one image if they want it, not at an absurdly high price, um, and making sure they have the first choice. So this, this market is very old essentially, and 
people tend to forget that each image database actually has their own style. And uh, very often when people uh, take a subscription, they are stuck with that certain style. Well, their product might need another style the next project, but then you don't want to switch because of costs. And uh, we wanted to avoid all of those things. Uh, but the task at hand was quite hard to make sure we had good source technology. And that's what we are still working hard on every day to make sure we get better at that part. Well, I love the fact that you've you've talked there about a real need and, you know, a, a, you have a goal of reducing that 45-minute on average time for a creator to down to 45 seconds and you're doing it through, I guess, a lot of what artificial intelligence, machine learning. Yeah, it is, uh, it's always complicated to talk about it because I think artificial intelligence is a very overhyped word and in the end it's not... Yeah, it's very complex algorithm and stuff like this, but it's it's especially the mindset, how you think about how you want to approach that solution of uh, making the most out of uh, data. So we always say we, we use product intelligence and customer intelligence to, to give the right results. Uh, but yes, essentially artificial intelligence is uh, also what we use in our common jargon. It's okay to use a buzzword. Yeah. We can use a buzzword, okay. that's fine. <laughs> Uh, so I'd love to know about you as well. We have a lot of people listening who get very inspired by the founders, the CEOs on this show. And uh, you, you sound very passionate about this problem. Uh, what uh, got you into uh, work, working for your own startup? Actually, I have to. I, I have the fortunate luck that I uh, more or less became an entrepreneur when I was very naive, and I actually didn't know what the word meant. So I always say you can become entrepreneur in two ways: either by situation. Uh, um, or because uh, there is literally no choice and you get just pushed into it. So, um, yeah, I was more or less 15 when I when I uh, started on my first venture. I didn't call a venture back then. And I was lucky enough to uh, sell parts of my company on that age, uh, which allowed me to step into the great world of entrepreneurship and try out uh, anything that I liked um, and and later on in my life I tried to build up initiatives to give other people the same notch or the same perspective on that it's also possible for them because the problem is when you're studying uh, you, you tend to get a lot of knowledge and with knowledge you also increase your uh, yeah, and on your feel on due diligence on, on, on the reasons why not to do it. So I wanted to uh, make sure these become less so they could have potentially same same experiences I did. Dennis, let me just qualify that. You sold your first company, what, at the age of 15? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yes, I, I wouldn't call it a company, <laughs> but in, essentially it was. Yeah, it was quite tricky because when you're 15, you're not really legal, at least not in the Netherlands. So there's this rum slum legally wise to, to fix some stuff. But yes, uh, yes, I, I showed part of, uh, of, uh, of, of my company uh, back then. Uh, previous company, of course, not that, the English that, one. That yeah. is awesome. You, um, well, um, uh, sadly, you don't reach the youngest age uh, for making a killing on the air. Uh, we had um, a, a past episode with um, Syed Bolki, who so, I think... Uh, it was 12, but... Uh, no, that's it's, okay. Uh, it's not a competition, <laughs> so that's good. <laughs> I was just thinking, I mean, at the age of 12, I probably was still playing with Lego. Yeah, and I was as well. <laughs> yeah. um, this is awesome. That's so inspiring. So you basically always wanted in your whole life uh, to uh, go down this path. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I, I must say I pursued a lot of different stuff, but in the end, uh, yeah, you really have to follow your passion. I think it, it gets... 
it, it gets said so many, many times, but um, entrepreneurship is one of the fields where in most cases you're able to pursue that much more without barriers compared to other limited boxes. But I must say uh, there is no good or wrong in this case. I mean, there are great places to work at that give you essentially the same resources to also still follow your passion. And it also depends on what you want in life. Um, so yeah, I, I think entrepreneurship is just, it's great that it's giving a lot of people happiness. Uh, but also hard moments because then we appreciate the the, the happiest moments uh, even better. Yeah, and have you actually had any experience working for a boss or working for a, a corporate job, or you know, has it always been just working on your own, you know, or in a team that uh, where you're the the founder? No, no. So um, I did I did do for a few years next to my companies. I did study. Uh, so uh, um, I'm, I'm from Asian heritage. So uh, not super Asian, but still my parents really said like a degree is good. I guess any common parent would say that. And uh, since I dropped out of high school, uh, they made me take it in the end through like uh, governmental means. And I still went to university. Um, so I and, and then I still got to uh, do some jobs like consultancy. So I did uh, international research for companies like Linda Healthcare Group uh, on, on uh, medical gases, uh, and on and on and I was fortunate to do this research in America around bridges. So very random uh, working experience. I, I, you know what I love about this story is that uh, sometimes people think they're a failure if they do something slightly different, like drop out of high school. Uh, I actually dropped out as well uh, just before I finished my A-levels, which you, you call in the UK. And, uh, you know, like you just always look back to that and thinking, oh, I'm, I'm just a dropout. I'm a failure. But here you are. You know, you've sold part of your company at the, as a teenager. You're doing great things. Uh, you're, you're running your own company. It doesn't necessarily, anyone listening to this, if, if you've had some past failure, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to, uh, it doesn't make you. Is that right? No, I think I think you're hitting the, the spot there, especially, uh, and uh, I must say my personal re- uh, experience, of course, being in Europe, that it's, it's a lot different than in the when I lived in the States or when I lived in Asia. And uh, here... There is this incremental fear for failure. So um, I, I think what we tend to forget is that failure means we learn something. And that doesn't mean you should stop. You should actually continue because I likely will not make the same mistakes again. And um, I, I remember this this great business. Uh, and I, I spoke to the founder when I was 19 or something. And, and he had this great business. And then he failed. And uh, he more or less stopped because he said, like, well, I tried uh, didn't work out now I'll get a corporate job and I said to him but hey come on you you have this great experience you have this great contact this great mindset and um, you're not going to pursue it anymore and he said like yeah but people see me as a failure and I said to no see it as a success I mean uh, I always tell new entrepreneurs to for example look at Thomas Edison you know he, he didn't say uh, that he failed 999 times but he uh, found 990 times how not to do it basically and i think that's a great approach on how you should look at it and that failure is just a way of the part so the main skill for entrepreneurship is just to be perseverance have perseverance keep going and know that it's if you have passion and 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 you keep growing that you will get there at some point and even the hardest moments are most of the time the best i'm always reminded when you took we were talking of uh, a, an investor and i can't for the life of me remember who uh, said this but the quote was something along the lines of uh 
he invested $16 million in a, a guy who ultimately failed and lost his company, went bust. And then he was investing him in him again. And when asked, why on earth are you, why on earth are you investing in this guy again? You've lost $16 million or whatever. He said, you're joking. I've just invested $16 million in his education. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I think that is that's a great one. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it really is indeed. I mean, uh, the good thing is we in 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 the world we don't have enough people who create and and try to take risk, you know. And actually, there is no abundance of money because there are a lot of people who don't know. Yeah, in the world, there's a lot of good initiatives needed to to pick up stuff. And I am happy that entrepreneurs are the first uh, ones who are taking this risk to do so. So I hope you're enjoying this episode with Dennis Tan. Let me thank my sponsors who help keep the show going. Uh, first is TopTal, toptal.com forward slash pool. That's toptal.com forward slash pool. That is the URL that you will need to go and check these guys out. Uh, they are the world's best when it comes to great developers and great designers. Uh, they have uh, this uh, figure of 3%. Let me tell you about 3%. The 3% is a figure whereby they've calculated how many people uh, go through them, how many developers, how many designers uh, go through their assessment. And as a result of the screening out, uh, they do uh, English language tests, algorithm tests for developers. They do all these different screening processes. Very, very hard to get through. And as a result of all the people that they reject, they end up with uh, about 3% acceptance rate. Now, it's not something that they are specifically targeting. It's just something that came out from the process of trying to get through to the best developers in the, around the world. Uh, and in fact, this 3% came out when they screened hundreds of thousands of individuals. They looked back through the numbers and then they realized, wow, you know, we're only passing uh, 3% of uh, developers and designers. That's pretty insane, right? And so they started comparing that pass rate for other things like uh, Ivy League schools, Navy SEALs, uh, and they realized that uh, it's actually a really, really uh, tough acceptance rate. In fact, it's an incredibly high bar. And, and I've actually seen some of these people that go through and get into the top town network. Uh, they come out of MIT or even CERN or Google. These are very well-respected and very high-caliber individuals that join the TopTown network. So if you want access to this network, then uh, you go to toptal.com forward slash Paul. That's toptal.com forward slash Paul. What that enables you to do is you have a two-week risk-free trial uh, to go through and work with a developer or a designer that they uh, hook you up with as, uh, within their network. And if for some reason that that person doesn't seem to fit with your team, uh, then they will cover the costs of the developer and designer and they will give you then another opportunity to work with someone else within their network. So it's toptal.com forward slash Paul. Thank you very much to TopTal for supporting the show. Next, let me thank GummyCube, uh, gummycube.com. And they are supporting our show. They offer the world's best when it comes to app store optimization. Uh, and so how does that work? Uh, well, it's all through keyword optimization. We know that most people are finding the, their apps through the app store. And what they do is they have proprietary app store intelligence technology. And so they can offer exclusive data to their clients. And that gives you the best opportunity to target the best keywords for your app. Uh, most apps only rank for 10 to 15 keywords for every search phrase. And GummyCube can help you improve this by five to 10 times in the first month. 
Uh, you go and pick out the best keywords, you make your app very relevant, and you gain visibility in the App Store. So don't go to a company that is pulling its data from the web. You really need to use Gummy Cube. They have something called Data Cube, which is their proprietary system of pulling out data from the app stores. Uh, they've been doing it now for years and years and they've been supporting this show for years and years. So uh, go to the best, gummycube.com, gummycube.com. And thank you very much to Gummy Cube for supporting the show. Uh, so let's get back to the episode then with uh, Dennis Tan of Dashmote. Yeah, that, that's um, the, the, we've got two more things to to run through uh, to, before we say goodbye to you. Then one is that uh, I would love to know if there's something in your journey with Dashmote. What would you know that one thing you one piece of advice you give to anyone else who is running their own app company or uh, you know what what uh, what's the biggest thing you've learned in a way? I, I think what you uh, it it goes down for any entrepreneur. Uh, I think in the end they know that that the most valuable lessons are or the most valuable knowledge things are the ones that are really uh, straightforward are very easy. So we tend to forget that those hardest lessons are actually the most important because um, yeah it does yeah in your head you're always looking for a better answer or a more complicated thing. So in my essence still it is about. And making sure you have a very clear story, uh, in the end being able to tell the story very clearly and make sure that you find the right people to work with you along you that have the same passion, the same belief. Especially if you're starting out, you need other people to, to have the same kind of belief as much as you do. Uh, and then, uh, as most common sense, talk to as many customers as possible. I mean, they are always your leeway to find out. So... Uh, I think the, the, the greatest entrepreneurs that I've, I've spoken to, whether they are famous or, or not so well known, um, in the end they had this great vision on how to reach the community or how to reach their uh, how to reach their potential client or potential users and being able to one by one uh, able to convince them. I think any business that is very grand, that's a very incremental thing that uh, you're not trying to sell anything, but they actually want to sell for you, you know? So you get like this automated word of mouth and then you know you hit the sweet pot, spot that your product or your service is very crucial or has a very high demand, which is then able to, to tell others about it. Yeah, and finally then, Dennis, uh, I, I mean, in a way, you've had to build your own product and you've got a team there as well. Uh, I'm guessing it wasn't making any money whilst you were in development stage uh, do you have any advice to anyone uh, on um how to cope with spending i guess you were spending your own money and and pulling on savings and things uh, uh any advice to anyone who's going through the same because there you know there is a build phase where you don't get any income uh, but you have to cover the cost of development and, the, and inspire the people around you uh, uh, offer them something any advice on that kind of um challenge I think there are, there are three things to it. I think, first of all, the, the entrepreneurial shift towards now is that you want to make revenue way earlier on than before. So before there was this trick you could play that you would get a good story and talk to as many potential money investors kind of types to do, to, to help out uh, without bootstrapping. Um, but I think the most crucial thing is, is you should be willing as a founder or as your, your core team that you're willing to do anything it takes. So that basically means a lot of founders say like, I don't have a technical co-founder. I, I, I don't know how to pay them. I don't know where to find them. 
start first by learning coding yourself. Even doing one week, uh, 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 one lesson a week will give you this knowledge on how to find them first of all, but also understanding how it works. So uh, that will save you a lot of money essentially at the start. And uh, also be very particular on that you spend all your money on uh, resources that helps your team so you don't want to limit any resources that would get the best out of your team so don't spending on faint things like office nice chairs an extra beautiful mac screen or something like this no use it on anything that would improve their productivity or improve their creativity to the max so uh, essentially if you find leeways to do that you get to the best point i think the the, the the best entrepreneurs found these little ways on how to optimize less resources to, to get the most out of this because that is what entrepreneurship is all about. What can you do with the tools at hand to create something wonderful? And uh, luckily, we live in this age where there's so many of these cheap, free tool access things available from actually lessons, courses like accelerator programs to having free software that you could use for any means. Uh, and, and Dennis, yeah, actually, uh, this is pretty handy because I, I do uh, get sponsorship from TopTal. They they uh, get uh, the the best top talent, and they're always talking to me about how uh, an individual or a, a talented developer, designer, uh, a technical co-founder, how they make a massive difference. Uh, and you're almost saying the same that the people that you uh, have around you they could make huge difference. I think that is all the thing that matters. I mean, if you want to become a lawyer, surround yourself with a, a bunch of lawyers. It's not my preferred thing, but if you want to become an entrepreneur, talk with as many entrepreneurs as you can. Uh, surround yourself with it, especially for the first phases. I mean, uh, experience is key in this case. Knowledge is key. So, yeah, absorb as much as possible. Either books, but especially talking to people is the best uh, you can do to, to get further ahead in, uh, in any situation. Great. Well, Dennis, it's episode 475. So any uh, all the apps to try, you can go to uh, theappguy.co, search for Dennis Tan, and you'll see uh, links to Dash Modes. And uh, hopefully I'll remember to put on links to those uh, PR, uh, uh, those links um, that uh, attract a lot of traffic. Dennis, in the meantime, how can people best reach out to you? What's the best way of getting in touch? The great thing about entrepreneurship is the most back giving a community that's out there. We all been to harsh times, so you want to give time back. So um, I try to answer to any person that I can, so they can just reach me on my email, which is uh, dennis at dashmo.com. And uh, don't be afraid to send me a mail. I might not always respond in time, but uh, normally I have this 48 rule to at least say, I will get back to you in two weeks, uh, or I have other people checking my mail for me. So um, yeah, feel free to, to ask me anything uh, to get to know more about my experiences. Uh, so uh, dennis at dashmo.com, um, and just shout out and uh, give me uh, give me an email lovely dennis thanks for coming on the app guide podcast sharing your awesome wisdom all the best with dash mode and uh, uh, look forward to seeing how it goes yeah thanks a lot paul for uh, giving me uh, a chance to talk to many lovely uh, potential new or current entrepreneurs to uh, to pursue their passion so I hope you enjoyed that chat with Dennis Tan. Uh, during the episode, uh, we did actually talk about uh, whether Dashmote beat uh, Casey Neistat on uh, Product Hunt and he launched a Beam 
uh, the same day as uh, Dashmote was hunted? Well, the answer is yes and no. Uh, yes, in that it, it got more upvotes during the day, 668, I think, uh, during the actual launch day itself. And yet uh, Beam 1.0, uh, got 601, um, but I believe that uh, because of the algorithm uh, for product hunt and the uh, time of day that it was hunted, Beam 1.0 did actually win out in the end. But if you can think about uh, Casey's uh, exposure, I mean, he's got an absolutely huge following on uh, YouTube and all those fans coming over to support the launch of the product. So it's a really good run for Dashmode. Uh, so there you go. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, remember, uh, there will be another episode out shortly. And let me know if you have any feedback on the interview style, on the podcast itself. Uh, please do engage. It's paul at theappguy.co. Paul at theappguy.co. Thank you very much. Bye for now.